Chapter 3 The Cries of Children Jeroth's teeth clattered as the wheels of the wagon came across another obstacle in the path. A hole this time, not a bump. The fourth one that the road had offered in less than an hour. He muttered a fervent prayer, crossing his wiry arms and inserting his pink hands into his armpits. It was a futile effort. There was no real semblance of warmth there, either. The other children, all five of them, sat in silence. Only the wind whispered ominous nothings and the unrelenting mist embraced it all, from the rolling hills and bare meadows, the myriad of wildflowers and the lonely trees beyond, to the very road ahead of them. Tall Thomas was snoring, his expression peaceful for a change. His right leg was twitching under his blanket, which was hiding most of his lanky frame from view. Only his bony face and curly, ink-black hair could be seen with ease. In the cold flamer's light, Jeroth noted Thomas's obsidian skin glisten, a testament to how profusely he was sweating despite the cold. Little Amari was staring at nothing in particular with her huge doll-like eyes, cradling a rusty sickle against her bosom as if it were a toy, chewing on the inside of her cheek all the while. Every now and again her eyes would travel over Thomas's sleeping form, and every time they did she would pull at one of her auburn bangs. Brandis and Demille Cutter, the large and muscular twins hailing from Stonewall, were playing yet another game, their faces masks of concentration and their gloved hands blurs of fervent gestures. Jeroth still had trouble telling them apart, even after all this time, what with them finding some peculiar joy in confusing one and all by dressing and acting much the same. Even their chestnut manes shared the same length, cascading down like waterfalls from their heads all the way past their collarbones. Then there was Savria Fole. Savria was plump and pleasant-looking, with flowing rose-colored hair and summer-green eyes, a line of freckles at the bridge of her slightly upturned nose, a confident smile, the kind of smile that made it seem she had secrets she would never share with anyone else on her full lips. She placed those lips against his ear, her hot breath washing over his skin. Tell me, she murmured, has anyone ever told you that you're handsome when you're mad? No one but you, Jareth replied just as quietly, making sure she was the only one that could hear him. Besides, I'm not mad. Frustrated, more like. Blood in the fucking mud frustration suits you well, then. You shouldn't curse so, he groaned. The nine don't approve of your filth. Oh, I don't know about that, she stifled a smirk. I'm quite sure Gartolf was fond of that word. Fucking, I mean. Saint Gartolf the Horned. The Horned, Savria, don't forget that part. What? It's not like you need the taint in your veins to enjoy it. I doubt Augustana was a maiden true, or the good old Balegrim Jareth had heard enough. She had mocked the saints for too long, far too long. Before he could stop himself from doing so, he hissed, earning himself bewildered looks from Amari and the twins. Thomas was the only one who did not stir. Enough, Jareth spat venomously. I, for one, have no interest in it. Spread your legs all you want if that makes you happy, but I won't... The remainder of his tirade died on his lips as he realized what he had just implied. He felt a heat smolder his cheeks while Savria's round face was drained of all colors, her eyes growing murky. Calling me a whore, are we? I thought we were friends. He twisted around, away from her. With a shudder, he exhaled a mouthful of air that turned into fog. Enough, he repeated more softly this time, yet with a hard edge. He reached under his shirt, grasping at the feathered charm that hung securely around his neck. Savria's skin-melting glare pierced into his skull, but she said nothing further. Lujari, the burly and weathered driver of the cart, turned her head towards one of their approaching guardians. 
The soldier wore a chainmail with mismatching pauldrons, the shaft of her halberd resting on one of them. She wiped her burnt orange tunic, the Larkel family's color, and wrinkled her more than once broken nose at the Lajari. Fucking hells, she grimaced, making the scars crisscrossing her egg-shaped face all the more palpable. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. They should have seen us by now, but there's been no word, no nothing. Jeroth knew that by they, the soldier was referring to the Warhounds, the famous, though most would argue infamous, band of mercenaries. The driver knew this as well, as the mere mention of them made the older woman spit a mixture of saliva and demon's delight at the ground before chuckling mirthlessly. <laughs> Those bastards are dead drunk by now, Nolly. Of that, I'm sure. Even though he could only see her wide back and the single ash-gray bun of her hair, he was sure that Lujari was stuffing another lump of that awful-smelling herb into her mouth. That Lord Telman would trust them with anything but drinking and whoring around? Well, that's boiling mad if you ask me. Each passing word made a vein on Nolly's neck stand out, visibly pulsating even in the dim lighting. You dare question his judgment? The High Lord wouldn't have hired them without good reason. Not that that is any concern of yours, driver. Lujari's broad neck and shoulders strained against her hauberk as she shrugged. Right you are. It's no concern of mine, she snorted. No matter. We should be arriving there shortly, we should. Even without the hounds, the children and I will make quick work of this. We'll be back before the wedding's over. It was at that moment Thomas awoke with a gasp, startling them all. Another nightmare? asked Amari, her eyes unblinking, yet her tone concerned. Yes. It was a simple answer, yet he spoke too loudly, not fully returned from sleep's embrace. Silence, barked Lujari, without as much as turning to face them, her whole body stiff. After a moment, she relaxed with a huff. Be quiet, all of you. Thomas merely mumbled something that could pass as both an apology and an insult. Keep your children in place, or I will, Nolly sneered, her expression downright vicious. She marched away, and once her heavy footsteps could no longer be heard clearly, Lujari gestured theatrically. Right, right, we'll be at the farmstead in a moment or two, we will. Prepare yourselves, let's get this over and done with. She whistled, making the four oxen pulling the wagon forward bellow in unison before slowing down. Amari, I want you to go first, the driver said. The field's straight to our right. The rest of you, take everything you need. And cutters, don't forget the strings this time. We sure won't, Demille nodded. We would never, added Brandis. As they came to a stop, Amari leapt from the cart with the grace of a cat and scurried off into the mist. Jeroth, Savria, and Thomas were next, bringing with them their tools, a pair each of sickles, scythes, and unlit cold flamers. Last were Brandis and Demille the iron-bolted drakewood creaking under their combined weight. As they waited for Amari to return, Nali reappeared, distress and barely suppressed rage still etched on her face. Everything's still and silent as the grave. I don't like this. Lujari rose up from her seat, giving Nali a knowing look, but holding her tongue. Fine, Nali continued. The others and I will be at the outskirts of the field. You don't need our help with anything else, do you? No, my dear. Lujari's words were like two stones grinding against one another. We sure don't. And glad I am to hear that. The quicker we are done here, the better. Something's wrong. I just know it. I can just smell it. Feh, I'm sure you can, Lujari harumphed. As Nali left once more without another word, Jeroth could not help but wonder what she was trying to accomplish, why she even bothered to speak with Lujari. It was not like she cared about her. For any of them, she had made that abundantly clear. Little Amari returned after a few more moments, 
bending over in order to rest her hands on her knees. The barley looks fine, she breathed, but that won't last for long. Nothing's moving out there, dead or alive. We should move. That we should, Lujari agreed, her baritone tone a humorous contrast to Amari's high-pitched one. Right then, Brandis. Ah, Saints, Demille. You two have the strings? Good. And you lot have everything you need? Then get to work, all of you. Jeroth's free hand found its way to the feathered charm once again. He offered the nine saints another plea for his and the other's safety. Savria and Thomas, meanwhile, rubbed their hands furiously over the thick end of the torches, ensuring that heat seeped into the silver-blue dust on them. Soon the cold flamers shone brightly. Stealing his resolve, Jeroth began to sprint towards the direction from which Amari had come. Hidden in the mist, just a stone throw or two away from the road, was the field of still golden crop, taller than any man, but it was as Amari had said. It would not be long before it would darken and wither away. They split into two groups without a word, with Jeroth, Savria, and Brandis in one, and Amari, Thomas, and Demille in the other. They hurried off into different directions, keen to proceed with their task. Jeroth's scythe sliced through the air and barley, again and again, as did Savria's sickle. Fistfuls of the crop were tied together into bundles and placed into Brandis's burlap sacks. Slice and bind, slice and bind. It was hard work, but not all that dissimilar from the other times they had done this. Equally furious at Savria as he was with himself, Jeroth willingly entered his personal void where all unwanted thoughts and emotions faded away into nothingness. All that existed was him, the crop before him, and the scythe in his hands. Nothing else mattered, because there was nothing else. He returned to reality due to the muscles in his arms screaming in protest. Jeroth allowed himself to stop, letting his scythe rest against his shoulder. His heart was beating fiercely, his breaths were short and explosive, yet he felt more at ease. He craned his neck in order to study Savria, who was a few feet behind him. She had tied her hair into a long tail, her face red, her sickle still cutting the barley into more manageable bundles for Brandis to handle. Hey, Asav, Jeroth said. She twisted her mouth and stopped mid-swing, unwilling to look at him. I... look, I just wanted... A wail of terror pierced through the mist and made him stop. He felt his chest tighten up. He strained his ears, tried to filter out Savria's and Brandis's breathing. At first he heard nothing, but then... Romers! he heard one guard, Andrew Corwin, a friend of sorts of theirs, shout with a voice filled with dread. Romers from the north! Dozens! More! More? It can't be, Brandis exhaled, his face turning ashen. There haven't been that many since... Shit, we have to go. Now! Where are the others? I don't know, Savria said, her shoulders trembling. I don't... Go where? Jeroth interrupted her. We can't escape with the wagon. It's too slow. Maybe... the farmstead? Brandis suggested. That's all I can think of. We could barricade the doors. We could... But the others... Fuck! Savria yelped, her expression wild. How do we find them, or them us? It dawned on Jeroth. He spun around, looking for their cold flamer, which had been impaled into the soil behind them, offering them the light they needed to work. He shouldered his way past the others and tore the torch free before throwing it upward with all his might. It spun lazily before descending, hitting the still-standing crop nearby, yet doing it no harm. Brandis and Savria realized instantly what he was doing. Brandis snatched it up next and hurled it even higher into the air with an animalistic grunt. That's it, Savria breathed, digging her nails into Brandis's back. They have to see it. They took turns throwing it. Jeroth knew they could not do it for long, yet if a single one of their friends or guardians took note of the light, it could be worth the time they spent there. After the twelfth or so throw, they heard something rustle amongst the crop. It was a roamer. 
its black eyes fixated on them, tears of inky blood streaming down its cheeks. Its lower jaw was dislocated, hanging loose and resting against its throat. The pale one had been a woman once, dressed in a simple yet well-tailored green dress, with hair that was now moon-white and tousled beyond all hope. She had not been that much older than them. Now it was nothing more than a monstrosity, an abomination with limbs ending in claws outstretched towards them. They stared at it, too shocked to move. It was moving a shade short of gracefulness towards them, its tongue slithering over its lower lip. Without a single thought or emotion, Jeroth's body moved on its own, taking Savria's sickle from her hand and hurling it at the creature. The farm tool whirled past the roamer, that seemingly failed to notice it at all. Move! Jeroth forced the words out with a voice that was not his own. The farmstead's to the east, I think. His voice grew stronger and stronger, all the way into a roar. Move! Jeroth somehow managed to dodge the Pale One's talon nails as it lunged for him. A moment later and it would have shredded his throat open. He thought he heard Brandis whimper behind him and Savria as they ran, but they dare not look back. They could not stop. Not now. If they did, they were dead. They ran and ran until they eventually heard someone tumble through the crop nearby. A pale-faced Demille emerged, with Tomas and Amari just a step behind. Not that way, Brandis yelled, not slowing down for a single step. This way, hurry! They followed them without question. It can't be far now. Jaroth's thoughts were muddled by the panic that was devouring his innards. It just can't be. Please be the right way, saints, please! It would seem that their love for him was strong that day, because then they could see the outline of the building, two stories tall and broader than any house in Haven. As they came to the hill the farmstead stood upon, they paused for a moment to scout the area. They saw no sign of any movement, nor could they hear anything. No sign of battles nor death in the making. Nothing whatsoever. Brandis wheezed and tore at his shredded shirt. The roamer's claws had torn into his abdomen. Brother, Demille's expression was blank as he struggled to find the words. That isn't, is it? Fuck no. Brandis shook his head. Don't worry about me, I'm fine. Is anyone else hurt? Thomas licked his lips. No, we're fine, thanks to Nolly. She, she came to us as the roamers did. She held them back with her halberd, shouted for us to run, so we did. Amari was crying, fat tears streaming down her cheeks. I heard her shouts turn into gurgling as we ran. She, why did she? Savria placed her hand on her shoulder. She did what our lord had ordered her to do. Now we need to... The words died on her lips as her eyes shot up in terror. Jeroth felt Savria dig her nails into his forearm. He realized what was amiss. Something was rising up from behind the farmstead. Something immense. A giant, Savria whimpered. Gods, no! Jeroth had never seen one before, only heard stories of their cruelty and stupidity as a child. Yet even so, he was certain that this was not a giant. Something was off with its silhouette. He could see the outline of the creature, tall as the walls of White Keep, its limbs long and thin like a spider's, yet it seemed to lack any mass, as if it had no bones or muscles, flesh or blood. A ghost? Jeroth wondered ludicrously. Whatever it was, the creature's wail was awe-inspiring, mournful and hauntingly beautiful. Yet Jeroth could feel nothing but the deepest of terror. (laughs) 